the one thing I failed to mention is I, I spent 93 days in an inpatient hospital, right? And what got me in there was the overdose, but the reality is like I was there for PTS, man. Like I was struggling heavy, right? So the best thing in, in theory that happened to me was the overdose. So once I get in there into treatment, actually, what I had thought I had lost as far as like brotherhood, camaraderie, shared mission, focus of going forward, it was actually just redefined. Because once I went into that room, I'm in a group room with other professional tough guys from Camp Lejeune, Fort Bragg, Virginia Beach. And I start listening to these guys' stories and I'm like, oh, like I'm not the only one struggling with this stuff, right? Like I'm not the only one that's like waking up in the middle of the night. I'm not the only one that's trying to avoid their loved ones or isolating from community. And so with that being said is like, I find that for me and with the clients I work with now as a therapist is that oftentimes social connection is like the 51% solution. This is Vince Ruiz, Army veteran, Travis Manion Foundation volunteer and mental health professional. You're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast with Kevin Som and Vince Ruiz. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Som, and each week I bring you an inspiring athlete's story of perseverance or expert knowledge in the field of sports health and safety. Just like flipping a coin, you can't control what happens to you in sports or in life. You can always control how you respond. This is my response after suffering a traumatic brain injury in a high school football game, and I hope it leaves you feeling both inspired and informed. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, 4-3 Performance Lab, which has locations in Boone and Wyckoff, New Jersey. Uh, 4-3 offers handcrafted, tailor-made rehabilitation, nutrition, and training for athletes. And I've been around the physical therapy and sports performance world since 2007, and it's safe to say that not all PT practices are created equal. Uh, just as an example, after my knee surgery a few years ago, I developed debilitating kneecap pain, which was completely different from the pain that was addressed in the surgery, which was super annoying. I was eventually prescribed painkillers and anti-inflammatories and still found no relief. I was then basically told that I was screwed, uh, but based on a referral from my high school teammate and NFL fullback, Mike Burton, I began working with Dr. Daniel Clark, and I immediately started uh, to see results, uh, even after just the first treatment session. And I've been working with her and the rest of the team at 4-3 ever since. In my mind, 4-3 is the gold standard for sports rehabilitation and performance. Unlike the PT mills out there, you can expect one-on-one time with your physical therapist and also expert guidance from their technicians. Another thing I love about 4-3 is that they're always ahead of the curve on the latest evidence-based treatment and performance techniques. Some of these include blood flow restriction, which was an absolute game changer in my recovery from knee surgery, heat acclimatization chamber uh, for athletes training in triathlons or marathons in warmer climates, uh, muscle oxygen sensors, VO2 max testing, uh, resting metabolic rate testing, customized nutrition plans, a cycling studio where you can measure your FTP and watch Netflix while you're you know, getting your winter workouts in on those Wahoo smart bike trainers. And um, I reaped the benefits of, of that this past winter. Uh, and they also have Titleist TPI experts uh, to help you on the golf course and, and, and so much more. So uh, whenever my family or my friends ask me where to go for PT, without hesitation, I send them over to 4-3. Because uh, pain is not something to, to ignore. And if you live in northern New Jersey like I do, uh, don't wait until it's too late. Listen to your body and book an appointment at, at team43.com. That's team4 is in F-O-U-R, uh, the number 3.com. Uh, and if you're not in the area, be sure to follow them at team43 on Instagram. Uh, they're always posting great content to keep you healthy. 
Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. Uh, today I'm excited to have on Vince Ruiz, uh, who's an Army veteran. Uh, he's also a Travis Mannion Foundation mentor and a mental health professional. And we linked up at the Between the Ears link up. Um, and it was one of those things where, like, there there are no accidents. We were going to, to hike with Bill Anthes and, and, uh, and his group. And Bill was on the podcast a while back. And um, Vince went into my truck. To, we we kind of carpooled over to this hike. And we, I was telling him about the podcast, and he said something that was like extremely profound um, to me. Just after doing this podcast for close to four years now, and I was telling him, "Oh yeah, talk about like athlete transition and stuff." He's like, "Yeah, transformation, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, it is like a transformation." And like, I don't know why it took so long for me to be like, "Yeah, like the transition part, like." there's no like action. It's just like going through the motions, like the transformation part, that's like actionable. And that's like moving beyond your, your circumstances. So I was like, the more we were talking, I'm like, I could get this guy on the podcast. So I'm excited to have you on here, Vince. And uh, I was wondering if you could just start off by kind of give us some background, your athletic career. Cause you do have an athletic uh, career background into your uh, army career. I can do that. Uh, first, let me start by saying I'm super privileged uh, to be on here. And I, and I agree that the between the ears link up, as designed, there was a little bit of serendipity in there, right? It's like we met for a matter of moments, right? We made a few rights, a few lefts, got to the mountain, started hiking, uh, and then we had a shared experience. And I think it's interesting you highlighted the keyword of being transformation, and you haven't heard it stated that way. That comes from a place that's um, experiential in nature, and very much part of that ties back to my experience playing organized sports and team sports as a kid, my experience in the Army, and then my experience post-service. Um, I grew up playing all sports. Hockey kind of became the focus, kind of the ultimate team game, right? You have anywhere from 15 to, to 20 guys or gals on and off the ice um, with a shared goal, a mission or objective. And I was pretty fortunate. Uh, I played in high school and I played collegially for a little bit. Um, I just learned really quickly, like pass it to the good kid, right? <laughs> like that's going to make me look good. I just pass it to the good kid. Yeah, and going forward in my life in the army, it was like, hey, find the super smart squared away soldier, do what they're doing. That seems to work. And then, uh, in my life now as a student, soon to be doctoral student, is like, hey, just sit next to this smart guy or gal and uh, hold on tight. Hopefully that gets me there. And just for the audience, what are you going for your degree in? Uh, so I'm a clinical mental health professional. I work as a therapist right now, uh, and I'll start my doctoral studies in organizational leadership this fall. So Cool. Um, so what ultimately led to your decision to join the Army? Yeah, uh, like many other guys and gals, probably a couple hundred thousand uh, September 11th, right? That happens. Uh, we're in New Jersey right now. It's right down the street. Super sad day. Um, and, and just playing witness to that, you know, I was a young man at that time and seeing that and it kind of shocked me to the core, right? Some of my values and things that I hold sacred. Uh, I grew up in a, a very patriotic family. Most of the males in my family served at some point going back to World War II. So World War II, Korea, Vietnam, Gulf War, uh, and, and now the global war on terror. So it was kind of a legacy thing is like, all right, like our country's been attacked and I'm going to fulfill a role, whatever the role that is and whatever scope and scale. Um, and I want to be part of it. That's kind of what led me to joining the Army. All right. So can you kind of take us through um, your experience with the Army? Like what, you know, was it a good transition from like being an athlete to going to the Army or, you know... I don't know, what kind of things yeah. did you experience there? Yeah. I think there's a lot of parallels, right, between organized team sports and the military. They just they kind of uh, marry well because there's a, a goal or an objective, maybe to win the game or, or to compete, 
right? And that happens for most folks that are in the military in some capacity, right? As you're part of a team, there's a, a shared suffering potentially, right? There's training for, um, and then it's going to culminate with uh, executing a mission, whatever that mission is in whatever capacity. And right away, what I found about my military experience is that uh, I went in with whatever preconceived notions about what it was going to be. Uh, and I, I really couldn't detail exactly what they were at that time. But I found out really quickly is that like, it's about service. Uh, and it's about the folks that are next to you and your left and right. Um, because strategy and highest level vision, it matters, it's important. But when it comes down to it, when you're, you're down at the ground level, boots on the ground, it really matters like, uh, are you tactically and technically proficient in that moment? Uh, and are you supporting the people around you, whether it's the people you work for or the people that support you? Right. And there's a lot of parallels between athletics and the military and in both, like, I guess the actual action of each, but then also the life after. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where we had that connection too, and talking about um, our story. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about um, what life was like after leaving the army. Yeah, and I think this is the uh, important part, and I think I agree with you. This is what brought us together, right? Yeah. Uh, that's the and how long were you in the Army for? 12 years. 12 years. Okay, 12 that's years, a long right? time. So yeah. the greater majority of my adult life, right, okay. uh, at that point. The first real job, it was in service, a couple deployments or, or whatever, but what brought us together is that keyword of transformation. And, uh, I, I mean, is this the moment where I'm supposed to say something that's going to keep your listeners listening? Or is this the moment where I just dive in? Go right in. That's going to keep so them we'll listening. So go, we'll go with this, combat, but that's not what this is about, right? Um post-traumatic stress, alcohol, heroin, overdose, get better and get help, transition, or what I thought would be transition, and then transformation. Love it, dude. So now they have an informed decision to make whether they want to continue listening or not. If I were them, I'd listen. All right, I would too. And plus, we talked about this before we started recording, so you definitely want to listen uh, to <laughs> right the rest on. of this conversation. So go for it. Yeah, let's, let's so... um. So after a whole bunch of uh, deployments, you know, I, 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 I suffered from post-traumatic stress, whatever that means, right? And the, the two symptoms that I, I, I struggle with the most, and this probably goes back to my first deployment in 2004 when I came home. I think my parents played witness to it, my, my siblings as well. Um, avoidance, right? I would just avoid uh, everything and anything and then hypervigilance at all times. You know, waking up at three in the morning, checking the perimeter of my house or apartment at that time. Um, those aren't normal behaviors. Right? They just aren't, but it's a skill set that you kind of adopt as a practice potentially in combat, right? And I had a difficult time turning that off. So when you were in combat, those are the, like not the avoidance piece, but I'm just saying like you, you would wake up in the middle of the night and like check Always the aware. It, Always so it, aware. It, it manifested, and this dream went on for a long time. It's an intrusive thought is that like I would go to sleep and I would dream that I would end up fighting hand-to-hand -hand, um, with some Iraqi dudes or Al-Qaeda dudes, right? That never happened. Right. Like that was my brain, like trying to protect itself. And that's the way it was explained to me is that like you created a storyline or narrative, whatever, to try to protect yourself. Right. So, but it's intrusive in nature and it's disruptive to, to my well being, And that, that's what started happening. And then, and what happened is as the symptoms came to the surface of post-traumatic stress, I would oscillate between, uh, anxiety and major depression. Right. And so 2011, after my last deployment, I come back and I'm dealing with these things day in and day out, right? 24-7, I'm going between anxiety, depression, intrusive thoughts. I'm avoiding and isolating everyone and anyone. And I started drinking like really heavy, all right? Because alcohol works, right? It's a depressant. Uh, it allows me to just be drunk and out of myself, be numb, right? Not to feel anything. And the nature of that led me down a really, really dark, dark path, right? And my brain was searching for relief, right? Because something's not okay. 
right? I'm not processing the world. I'm not making order out of the chaos that my life is at this point. Um, my closest friends and family, to include people in my chain of command, are like, man, this guy's not okay. Maybe he's just drinking a little too much, you know, maybe cut back on the drinking, but he's still showing up to work and doing what he's supposed to do. So, like, he's kind of where he's at, right? But my brain is looking, right, for relief. And I don't know how to raise my hand and be like, hey, I'm not okay. I didn't have the humility required to do that at that time. And I found, I found heroin, man. And, um, you know, I think Nietzsche said, like, hey, re religion is the opiate for the masses. Like, well, heroin is the opiate for opiate addicts, right? Like, that, that, that's, just, that's a thing, right? And one thing led to the next. And by the, uh, the fall of 2011, I was intravenously shooting heroin, right? Like, that was a thing because it worked. Right, like the opiates were shutting me down, making me okay, and I clearly remember the day. Uh, I go into the bathroom and I'm like, I'm gonna get high, whatever. That's what I'm doing, right? It's giving me a little bit of peace of mind and relief from all these symptoms, the, the stresses and the struggles I'm dealing with at that time. And um, I, I say this with great humility. Like I looked in the mirror and was like, I'm either gonna blow my brains out here and now, or I'm gonna continue shooting heroin until the lights go out. And flash forward to uh, November 12th, 2012, that's exactly what happened. Uh, I suffered from a near-fatal overdose. And uh, it just so happens that the woman I was with at that time rushed me over to Clara Mass Hospital in Belleville uh, after we, we got high in Newark. And they brought me back to life. The power of Narcan and then the paddles. And I got lucky, man. I got a second lease on life. So obviously there's a lot going on to that story. Sure. Um, just from my my own personal question too is like I think there's a lot unknown about PTSD. Sure. And like what it looks like. You said it looks like for you it was like avoidance and hypervigilance. Yeah. But does it look like that for everyone, or are those like two of the main symptoms? Or I, well, I I think I think it looks different for many folks, right? And if we start from uh, the perspective of like. Well, let's start on what could be the, the beginning point of potential trauma, right? It could be anything, right, in this world, because the world could be a dangerous place or a hard place, right? But I think there's two big differences between uh, maybe combat or a violent crime or something of that nature, right? That's a victim in the truest sense, right? I was a volunteer. I wasn't conscripted into service. I signed up for whatever the million-dollar experience was, and I got all of it, right, like over and over again, Um how it manifested for me is very much in the avoidance of other people. Because at some point in there, I had a hard time deciphering whether I experienced a moral injury and what was acceptable or okay as a practice, right? I was raised as a Catholic, thou shalt not do this, this, and this. Well, I violated all that before I was like, you know, 25 years old. And, and so in that place, I was like trying to make sense of the world around me, you know, but like, combat and war in and of itself, man, is a super, super confusing place, right? And so that ties me back to like what the symptoms are, right? For me, those were the driving symptoms, right? And, and for everybody, it can be slightly different, slightly different. Um, but I think that's why addiction marries with post-traumatic stress oftentimes is because they play off each other in the brain. Um, how much do you think maybe like did you feel like you lost your identity leaving the military? Did you lack kind of the brotherhood that was, that was there? Um, did you have questions of like what's next like do all those factors kind of play into PTSD or is it completely separate and did that have anything to do with your experience and kind of so the the PTSD in and of itself I think is pretty normal right like history would suggest that to us right one of the best books I read um once I I engaged in treatment and got better the one thing I failed to mention is I, I spent 93 days in an inpatient hospital 
right? And what got me in there was the overdose, but the reality is like I was there for PTS, man. Like I was struggling heavy, right? So the best thing in, in theory that happened to me was the overdose. So once I get in there into treatment, actually, what I had thought I had lost as far as like brotherhood, camaraderie, shared mission, focus of going forward, it was actually just redefined. Because once I went into that room, I'm in a group room with other professional tough guys from Camp Lejeune, Fort Bragg, Virginia Beach. And I start listening to these guys' stories and I'm like, oh, like, I'm not the only one struggling with this stuff, right? Like I'm not the only one that's like waking up in the middle of the night. I'm not the only one that's trying to avoid their loved ones or isolating from community. And so with that being said is like, I find that for me and with the clients I work with now as a therapist is that oftentimes social connection is like the 51% solution. Like, man, we got to have some sort of social identity as far as being tribal creatures or social creatures on, on many different levels. And in, in the hierarchy of needs suggests that. Is that like, yeah, we're designed to be part of something and have a purpose and a mission and a task, right? And, and I, I tie it back to Achilles and Vietnam, right? They highlight uh, Homer's the Iliad, right? And then like um, some of the guys in, in Vietnam and some of the vignettes that they shared. And there's parallels in this. This is nothing new to history, right? Warfare has shifted and changed kind of how it's done, right? But the baseline is, is the same thing, right? The mission is kind of the same thing and the execution of it is very much the same thing. Um, but we're very much different in the sense that like I come home and like if I have civilian neighbors, like they don't have any skin in the game. Like how could they possibly know one way or the other? Nor do they really care, nor do they have to care, right? And so for me, I had a hard time accepting that. It's like, well, you don't understand. Well, like, well, also, what am I doing about it to express them, explain to them? Is that like, yeah, there's guys and gals that do some pretty heroic and amazing stuff, uh, given the current state of affairs in the world we live in. Um, and that's very much, once I got clean and sober and started getting help for the PTS, um, where I had to find that social connection. And that's very much what led me to the Travis Manion Foundation. Um, and it has been very much a huge part of going forward and continued service in my life right now. Yeah, we're going to get into that piece of, of your life as well. But one thing that I noticed that was like interesting is that you like just knowing that you're not the only one. And I think Bill has said this in some of his between the ears events is like yeah. your your experience is not unique like always. And when you think about that, you're like, oh, crap, like I'm sitting here like you you have all these weird thoughts going through your head of like, what was me a lot of the time? And you just spiral yourself down. But when you step back and think that, you know, your experience isn't necessarily like unique, yeah. you're like, oh, well, all right, well, if everyone else is going through this, then maybe I can kind of get through it. But your symptom of avoidance um, for PTSD kind of like fueled, I don't know, like the very, or it was the very thing that you needed to get better yeah like was the social interaction and that was like exactly one of your symptoms was like withdrawing yeah and, and that withdrawing is uh and i don't think it's it, i don't think it's different for athletes or veterans or anybody that experiences something where there's a there's a, a fundamental life change right is that like having connection is super important but as humans we're pretty irrational creatures i i find or at least i, I find that i'm pretty irrational and like it's super arrogant of me to think that like I'm alone or unique or special. Right. And then that's built around all the lies to support that some of that deceit. Right. Like, and I'm just lying to myself. Like there are plenty of guys and gals that have overcome things and I didn't have the ability or the wherewithal to like pay close enough attention to listen to other folks that have been through some stuff. Right. Because I was so caught up in my stuff, believing my own BS, 
you know, and that's that's not my phrase to coin. I heard that from uh, another gentleman, another veteran, like, yeah, I believe my own BS sometimes. And as soon as I heard him share that, I was like, oh, yeah. I'm the like, same way. I'm so yeah. guilty of that, right? Yeah. And like and any sort of guilt, shame, and embarrassment that comes along with that, I was denying it. You know, when I was struggling the most with my addiction to PTS, is like, I was like, oh, I'm the only one guilty, full of shame, embarrassed, and all of these things. And like, whereas now at this point, uh, I own it. Right. And and the substance abuse piece of it was your escape, right? Kind of like numbing yourself to the thoughts in your head or? Yeah, it works. It works, right? And it's like my brain was looking for the escape because my brain wasn't okay, right? Like literally like the, the physiological structure, my amygdala, my hippocampus are changing sizes, right? Like I'm not processing cortisol or stress hormones appropriately at this point. I'm operating in a, a very hypervigilant state all times, right? Uh, I'm not downregulating. So in turns, like I'm not – I'm not emotionally stable at that point. And like what will make you numb or, or stabilize your emotions is like drugs. And is it like voice, like the voice inside your head? Cause like I, I didn't go through, you know what you've gone through, but at the same time, like I, there's a voice in my head that's like not always a positive one and yeah. it, it, it can bring me down into like, I try to fight it a lot of the yeah. times if I'm aware enough to like accept it, but I'm trying to, feel what ptsd feel feels like is it is it like a voice or is it just like something you can't even describe I don't know. so i i think yeah it can it can sound like a voice right is that like internally this dialogue right, right? or almost maybe like a monologue right is that like you got to be tough got to get through this hey you're not the first guy that guy had it worse than you this guy's been through some other stuff Right. And I think you shared earlier about the football thing is that like, you know, whether it's um, a traumatic brain injury, a torn ACL or whatever it is, every guy is going to process that differently. They're going to compare and contrast it to what they know and the limits of their experience or comprehension. I didn't get a raw deal from the Department of Defense. Right. Like they 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 fed me well. They paid me well. They trained me well to do exactly what I did or whatever. They didn't give me the instruction manual on like after the fact of like, hey, if you're not feeling okay, these are some of the things that you need to do to protect yourself, take care of yourself. Because the core belief is from the indoctrination process is that like, you need to be tough. Like you're supposed to have this everlasting endurance. You're supposed to be able to go forever. And if it, if it sucks, just suck it up. Just right. keep fighting through it, right? And so that really for me was just a core belief that like I hadn't challenged, nobody hadn't challenged for me. Um, and I wasn't willing nor ready to explore and examine like, what really toughness is at that point in my life. And normally I save that part of the epi- or that my interviews, like I always ask the question, you know, what's your definition of toughness for the end? But I feel like it's an appropriate time to talk about it now since we just brought it up. Sure. So like, I'm always interested in like what you just described. All those things are like, you know, this person had it worse or that like there's, there will always be someone who was bigger, stronger, faster, had it worse than you play with the worst injury you know, whatever, like the bar will always be raised to a level where it's like impossible to meet. Um, and I'm just curious, like, you know, at that time, what was your definition of toughness versus, you know, today? Exactly what I shared is like, Hey, bigger, faster, stronger, go further, do it harder, less fear, or at least show less fear. Right. Because internally, like there can be some dangerous situations where everybody's experiencing fear, but like, what is the action that somebody's going to take is going to counter that? Even if it's counterintuitive, like we're going to do something inherently dangerous, we're going to do it, right? To me at that time would have been like, hey, that, that's tough, like right on, like taking action in that one isolated singular moment, like that's tough. 
at this point, I would redefine it, suggest it's the day-to-day of the practice habits and rituals that people engage in, right? Like, it's tough to sometimes love your spouse. It's tough to support your family when they're struggling. It's tough to overcome uh, illness, disease, natural disaster. Uh, It's tough to build people up sometimes when they don't want to be built up, right? It's tough to be hopeful Right when everything is just falling around down around us, and and I think that at this point in my life is where I'm at. Like sometimes I find that it's tough to be hopeful, right? Whether it's with humanity uh, or myself or whatever it might be. And and I'll use the example of I just spent some time with my cousin in Puerto Rico. He's uh, diagnosed with cancer at 32. He's a year younger than me, right? The dude becomes a shell of himself, like physically on the outside, right? Receives a bone marrow transplant at Sloan Kettering at some point. Goes on to get better. He's doing well now, right? What I witnessed right there and then was what toughness really is, right? Toughness is being okay with raising your hand and be like, yeah, I'm scared. Hey, I'm not okay right here. Hey, things aren't going well. I need help. And I don't know if that's because I'm in the helping profession now, but I find that that right there is like pushing aside our pride or our ego or whatever that might be. That, to me, is how I would define toughness, is people that are willing to ask for help or be okay or be vulnerable. Like, that's toughness because uh, I think there's some universal truth in the fact that we're all vulnerable at some point. Right. And before we started recording, we we talked about how in sports and in the military, like, you don't talk about getting hurt. You don't talk about any of the catastrophic things that could happen because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Like, if I don't think about it, you know, like – then that fear won't won't come in but so were there times in the military that you were like fearful yeah absolutely i mean and I, no one would ever say like hey i don't know about this i would i would no of course not because the belief is is that like hey we're the greatest military on earth and we're here to do exactly what we're going to do and there's a belief in your brothers or sisters or whoever you're with to accomplish that mission or task at any cost because that's, 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 that's what you're signing up that's for. That's what you yeah. signed up for. You know, I wasn't conscripted into this. I volunteered for it, just like uh, all my brothers and sisters. And and you're talking about super smart, high-achieving, physically fit, capable humans um, doing hard things. And right. doing, they, without a doubt, doing hard things. And um, some of the most impressive humans that I've ever had the privilege of being around, right? And it goes back to that thing we talked about prior to, about in the locker room or being with your team, right? Or being with your unit, right? It's like your reputation matters, Right. And that's a part of the story I kind of left out is that like the guys that I served with in, in combat, when everything fell apart, like they didn't judge me. They were like, hey, like, dude, you're struggling right now. Like, you OK? Everything OK? Like, I'm on the fringes of like homelessness, basically. Right. And they're like, dude, you can come live with me, man. Like, I'm the, I'm the godfather to two of their little girls. Like, hey, whatever you need, I got you. Like, no big deal. Does your daughter need anything? Like, whatever it is. And that speaks to, like, what that brotherhood actually is. And I, I don't know how else to highlight it. I mean, I'm, I'm living proof of what that really is. It's like, because they could easily have been like, yeah, this dude is done. He's not okay. Yeah, like, I don't want to be around I that. I don't want to be around that yeah. for whatever reasons. And I would have been okay with that. And there are some folks that did that. There absolutely are. And I'm not mad at them. I'm not resentful. I'm not angry. I'm like, they did what they had to do to protect themselves, man. Right. Like, I'm, I'm humbled by that. And it's just, it just... It's just I know better is that like I needed that 51% solution, which was social connection. And my brothers, without a doubt, they were all in my wedding to include my biological brother. were like, they never bat an eyelash. They're like, dude, you're going to get better. We're going to walk with you through this, whatever it takes, you know. And then it kind of became like a confidence thing or a self-efficacy thing. It's like, all right, what's the next task? 
Right. Like, got to keep making therapy. Uh, I'm going to use my GI Bill, go to school, going to pursue this thing. And in that process, no different than when you and I linked up at uh, the BTE link up, right? Yeah. It's like I meet Dr. Lem Burnham, my first professor in undergraduate, right? And mind you, I'm 34 years old and undergraduate and kids are 18, 19, whatever, right? And it's a little judgment in my head. Like, who's going to offer me anything? I got humbled real quick day one, man. Dr. Lem Burnham, Marine Corps veteran, PhD. He worked as a sports psychologist for all the Philly teams. And he, he sits me down. He's like, oh, the Marines in the Army, cool. He's like, um, been through some stuff. I'm like, yeah, you know, whatever. He's like, it doesn't matter here. And I'm looking at this mammoth of a dude. He played a defensive line for the Eagles back in the 70s or whatever. Um, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean it doesn't matter? He's like, yeah, like, what are you going to do now? Like, that, that's what matters. Like, he leaned in and did it. You know, and he's a big hulking dude. And I'm like, kind of like backing up a little bit. And I felt challenged at that moment and kind of in my head in that space that day. But I saw him next week and I was like, all right, challenge accepted. And so I would write these papers that I thought were great. Right, like I, I, you know, I'm, I'm crushing these papers, and he's giving me back like if it's a three-page paper, he's giving me back six pages to tell me why it's not good, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, dude, like let's let's slow down here, right? Like, let's, let's, like I'm trying, I'm doing my best, man. And um, what happened out of that is he very much was again somebody I was around once a week for a semester or two, and and was very much what I needed, man. And I didn't know it, you know, I needed somebody who was going to challenge me on my BS. You know, what, what, what do you know? What don't you know? And ask the hard questions uh, of my intellectual integrity. Um, and I opened up and kind of fostered this relationship with him and shared about some of my struggles, kind of like I'm sharing with you right now. And um, very much because of the nature of what he did professionally, he was humbled, you know, and it was between him and I. And he was like, all right. He's like, well, whatever support you need. And he very much wrote some of the letters of recommendation for uh, my continuing education and stuff like that as well. Cool. I'm thinking like you get to that point though, right, where – and he was in the Marines? He was in Marine Corps, he was yeah. Marine. in Vietnam. So he's an NFL guy and, and, he and NFL. Marines. Yeah. Right, so he's got all that. Um, I guess I'm just kind of thinking, I'm like, so you went to, is, it wasn't rehab, was it rehab, I guess? Yeah, it was a, yeah, a rehab. rehab. So I'm trying to figure out, like, what's the, what was the transformation point? Because when I think of, I, obviously, I, I haven't had addiction or anything that mm. I've had to deal with, but from an outsider's perspective, it seems like some people can't help them. Like they need to help themselves. Yeah. So like at the point that you overdosed, was it like, a, okay, I need to get my shit together or is it, or was it, you know, the things that you went through during rehab that kind of set that process along? Like to me, not knowing, it seems like it was intrinsic in you. And like, I picture it just being like kind of cold Turkey. Like, all right, I'm, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be this person anymore. And then you, you made steps to, to make a change, but was that exactly how it went or? Yeah, I think so, some of it happened that way. So the, and we're bouncing around and that's, that's okay. I think it makes sense for today, right? The overdose happens or whatever. I'm brought back to life. Um, I felt relief. I felt free. I don't, I don't know if that, that, that's what it was, man. And like, but I just felt free in that moment. November 13th, I woke up. I was like, all right, gotta make some changes, whatever that's going to be off to the hospital and mm -hmm. in that environment. In that window of time, it was another veteran that handed off Man's Search for Meaning, uh, Victor Frankl's book to me. It's a pretty short book. Like, I, m I mowed through it in like two days or whatever. And uh, just light bulbs started coming on about like, wow, like suffering is part of this. Struggle is part of this. How do we overcome um, our challenge at adversity? You know, and he gets into the, the woods about detailing his best work was in a concentration camp as a psychiatrist. You know, that's a short period of time in, in this traumatic environment, right? He's held in captivity, essentially, right? And all this chaos is going on, hopelessness in some cases. 
And then shortly after that, I read uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X by Alex Haley and his journey, his process, the things he went through from start to finish on the road to his transformation, I want to call it, uh, or self-transcendence for me was just like so many like internal moments of reflection to be like, here's a guy that was down and out. People voted him off the island. He's not going to be part of this. He was engaged in criminal behavior, using drugs or whatever it was. Went through some tough stuff along the way. And then uh, he engages in his um, faith-based journey to the Nation of Islam, whatever that was for him, right? And then all in all, he's meeting these different people and different characters in his story that play a role, whether it's for a short period of time or a longer period of time. And for me, it was introspective in nature. And I wish I could say it was all intrinsic and it was all me, but I did definitely need some sort of external stimulus along the way and that's where those other people came in okay i played a role in their story and fulfilled a character in their story they were just trying to help they didn't want anything from me and so right there and then by the time i leave treatment after receiving uh tons of treatment really um i was like all right this is it now i'm going to go forward and i'm going to influence every person i meet in a positive way i'm kind of done taking right and so my brain starts now on this new mission. I'm lurk, looking and searching for like, what's the next calling? Okay. What am I going to do here? And, and that's a good transition, even though we're trying to talk about transformations here, into, <laughs> into uh, your uh, role as a Travis Mannion Foundation mentor. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved um, with that foundation and then kind of what, what, you, what you do? Yeah, so... Can I just back up really quick? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so right before um, the Travis Mannion Foundation, about a year before, I, I met my wife on the way out of the Army. She was in the Army as well. That in and of itself, right next to getting clean and sober and getting help for PTS, and it is the most important thing that happened to me at this point, is, is meeting her. Having somebody that I could turn to and, and her be like, hey, it's okay. I get it. You've been through some stuff. Like, I've deployed too. Been through some stuff. Your journey is your journey. Your process is your process. I respect it. Um, and having support to go forward and going forward. I'm like, all right, I got to redefine my life. What does it look like? Kind of start doing the CrossFit thing. That's where I met somebody that worked for the Travis Madden foundation in South Jersey and, uh, Liz Fisher. If she ever hears this man, like my brain was looking and she was like, Hey, I heard you're a veteran. I think you should come check this thing out. I go and I witness Eric Adelsberger deliver a character does matter presentation in South Jersey. And I watch him do this thing with these high school kids. Some are resistant. And he navigates all of it beautifully, man. And I'm like, yes. And they don't know the background or story at this point, but I'm like, yes. I'm like, this is a calling. This is a purpose. This is continued service. I'm about this right now. This is where I'm at. And I engage. And they give me all the training. These are the expectations. These are your left and right limitations or boundaries. And what it afforded me the opportunity to do is in front of adolescents, whether it was a cohort of RTC kids or an athletic team or just a classroom or an auditorium for that matter, is allow them to ask some hard questions because kids will ask some hard questions, right? And allow me to unpack my stuff internally. Like, how do I want to respond to this in this moment? And what does it say about me? And what I found in that process is that I've gotten more than I could ever give or pay forward into the foundation because I'm just showing up. I'm being authentic and genuine. I'm not there to evaluate these kids. They're dealing with whatever stressors are they're dealing with in their lives, you know, and, and show them it's okay to be vulnerable. You can be kind, compassionate, and still be the toughest guy in the room. You know, they, they, they can all happen in the same space. So 
that's very much been part of it. And it's, it's a privilege. It's an honor. And the Travis Madden Foundation has given more to me than I feel like I can ever repay them to. I mean, and, and it's interesting is that, you know, my wife Mary and I we were about with the foundation for about six months and then their annual gala was coming up in Philadelphia. And it was kind of funny. Like, I didn't really know that many people in the foundation at that point in time. And I joked, I was like, hey, do you want to go on a fancy date? in Philadelphia. And she was like, all right, let's do it. And I'm like, so, you know, we get a tuxedo, she gets a gown, whatever, and we go to this thing and uh, we hear Ryan Mannion speak. And at this point, Mary and I had talked about like, hey, do we want to get involved with other veteran organizations? Like, we got, knew it was going to kind of be a thing. And we heard Ryan Mannion speak that day at the gala and right away, her and I look over at each other and we're like, all right, we're all in. She speaks well, she's, she's humble, she's very honest, very straightforward. Um, she expresses love for her brother that was killed in action in 2007. She talks about how her family didn't implode and what they needed to do to get better and go forward. And I identify with all that based on what I've shared with you in my story is that like none of it was done by myself. Like I need other people. Right. And I want to be in support of other people as well. No, that, that's incredible. And uh, when you were kind of telling that part of your story, <clears throat> I was thinking, I'm like, as a 16, 17 year old kid, like I could have used a visit from... Vince Ruiz uh, (laughs) as a mentor. No, seriously, just in terms of like you can have like compassion and, you know, do do good things and be nice and like still be the toughest guy in the room because like I didn't think that at the, you know, when I was that age. Um, Can you take us through some of the core values of the Travis Manion Foundation? And, you know, obviously this is like a a sports-minded podcast, but like I just said, like, you know, as an athlete, I could have used the exact, you know, principles that you guys, you know, use on a, on a daily basis, uh, just in terms of my own transformation that took me close to 10 years to, you know, for my life after football. Um, but yeah, if we can kind of dissect some of those, I, I didn't have, I can translate into, you know, an athlete. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. And I, and I think, um, they're just principles, right? They're values, they're principles and they're guideposts for us. Right. And, and there's six of them at this point. It's uh, build, measure, learn, and repeat. Uh, be accountable. Purpose begins with passion. Out of many, one. We are fueled by gratitude. And failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. I think it's just sound advice, right? If, if nothing else, like re- to reflect on at times. And I think when I share the message, uh, specifically with the student athletes, right? Because being a student and a member of the community is super important. And sometimes I think the adolescent kids, not really sure how to do it. They don't realize that you don't have to be the center of attention or the focus of effort. Like sometimes you can just set up the tables and chairs for the event, right? Like or hold a sign like, hey, traffic this way or, or whatever, right? Like add some value. Like, um, and I think that's what the Travis Manning Foundation does with heroes runs, different operation legacies in the fall or the spring where we're doing service projects around the country, right? I'm, I'm part of like 50,000 other veterans, man, that are doing stuff in, in their communities, in their backyard. And that's where that social connection comes in right into my community. And the people that's introduced into to my life and to me and my wife's life have been impressive along the way. Um, but the build, measure, learn, and repeat thing, I think the parallel with, with sports in general is this, is that like, Whoever you are at the end of the season, you know, you got to be honest and humble and like seek the recommendations of like your coaches. And if your coach is telling you everything's good and great and wonderful, right? Like you might want to find a different opinion, right? Like you really want to get the, uh, hey, you're doing this well, that's cool, but let's get better at this, this, or this. And then at that point, depending on how long the season is, you got a period of time to do something about it. That's the gift, right? Like the best athletes, right? Like nobody else is going to be there with you at five or six in the morning in the gym. Or at five or six in the evening, whatever it is, right? Reading the playbook, studying the playbook, knowing your role and responsibility, 
building up a competency to support whatever it is that you're trying to do. So if we were to take football for common uh, language right now, is that like, hey, you're really not good at this, right? But we need you for the purpose of the team to be really good at this. And you're one of 11 people at any given time or 50 or 100 people on the roster that need to fulfill that role. Like, how serious do you take it? Like, what do you want to do about it? Does it mean it needs to get bigger, stronger, faster? I don't know. And like, you know, pushing that to the optimal performance level, right? Because there's a cap for everybody. Like, I think genetics and environment do play a role. Yeah. Right? Like, not all of us are going to be 6'6", 300 pounds. Like, that's just not a thing. Not all of us are going to run 4240s. Because if we all could, we'd all be uh, hanging out on Sundays. Right. right? Um, but I think to take those gifts and do something about it to whatever limitations. Be accountable to yourself and to your team. It ties back to that practice thing. That's a day-to-day -day grind. Right? Like, that's not the stuff people see on Instagram or Facebook. or um, That's the stuff that, like, your closest confidants know you're doing to separate yourself, whatever that is. Um, what about, like, after football, though, too? Like, football is not a thing anymore. H how can an athlete use these, you know, as a guide yeah. for that transformation point? Yeah, and I think that's a skill set that's developed in all of that stuff, right? The, the, the data grind and the work that it takes to, to be part of a team. Right, like, and it goes back to what I shared about my experience in the army, and I think it's the same in the corporate setting. Is like at the end of the day, we're part of a team. You serve a role and a function. Your responsibility is to be really, really good at whatever it is you need to be really, really good at, um, and be okay with getting to the fringes of, of failure. And that's the last principle. Failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. I'm living proof of that. I'm, I'm evidence of that. Is that like there were plenty of failures, near catastrophic failures in my life, um, but I was fortunate or lucky enough to survive. It's like, what do you do next about it? And I think that's the message I convey to kids often is that like, yeah, cool. Like science is breaking you off, man. That's a gift. That's a gift. Like don't run from the hard classes. Like take the hard classes, right? Like in practice, when you line up next to somebody, don't run from the guy that's bigger or better than you. Like that is where you're going to find out if you can get better. Right. And that's just the only way we do it. It's like we don't shirk from the competition or the challenge of, right? That, that, that's that's kind of what I convey to the kids. Love it. Um, so... I found some statistics about people who have gone through a lot of these mentorship programs. And one was 90% of the participants have a better understanding of their personal character strengths and how to leverage them to make an impact. 93% feel a greater sense of purpose. 92% feel um, like, like they belong to a community. Sure. And I feel like all of those things are a lot of what an athlete lacks mm. when that transition, you know, starts. So, I guess, how, what teams have you worked with? And, like, can you describe some of those experiences of, like, what those athletes have learned from, you know, working with you and how things have, have maybe changed? So I think uh, I'll share two experiences just because they're on kind of different ends of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, this past winter we did a, um, a leadership course with the, the Don Bosco kids, student athletes, right? Uh, there's an application process. They all apply. Not everybody gets selected. Um because, you know, for whatever the reason, we want to have a vetting process. We want to make sure that they're fully invested in spending the day with uh, the Travis Manning Foundation mentors. It's not unique or uncommon, the process that we use. Uh, many other groups of veterans use them for different purposes, right? And by the end of the day, because it's a combination of physical stimulus, right? There's improv acting. There's cognitive challenges and tests, right? And it's designed to make the, the kids uncomfortable at some point in the day, right? Because the guy that walks in, right, that maybe is the biggest and strongest, he's going to crush the workout. Right, but maybe he's not good with just improv acting, and maybe that guy's that's wait, what's improv acting is like a part like we of it? we bring in somebody that's uh, an improv acting coach, and then they facilitate improv acting. 
So at some point throughout the day with all these different events, the kids are going to be put into a position that they're not the best at. Right. So by the end of the day, the paradigm in that room or the belief is that like sometimes it's, it's okay to not be the best at something, but your effort is what you can control. Your enthusiasm is what you can control. Um, and how you're supporting other people is what you can control and influence. And that oftentimes is what I find is the feedback. And that's the greatest lesson learned is that they, they get. And then they start pointing to each other to be like, hey, like he was really good at that. Hey, he was really good at that. And I'll give you an example with the kids. One of the best examples is this young man. I meet him and we're shaking hands, doing just some introductions at like 7, 8 in the morning. And he's like, oh, I just want to become a better leader and more comfortable doing whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm making my mental notes. You know, I got my little notebook. I'm like, I think that's right. what that kid wants. We're going to test that. Oh, test that. We're okay. going to test it at the end of the day. And in the day, uh, the kids come up and, you know, we give them a certificate and we hug it out like, hey, way to go. And that kid comes up and, uh, hey, what'd you learn today? That was my question to him. What'd you learn? He's like, oh, I learned this, this, and this. He gives a bunch of generic stuff. Right. I'm like, all right, cool. What you would expect. Yeah, yeah. like, cool. Like, he gets it. He's a smart kid. He's intuitive. I'm like, all right, show me. Don't tell me. So I go sit down. And uh, I'm proud of this, right? Because he's super uncomfortable in that moment. I'm like, now you have an opportunity to influence your peers. What are you going to do? And he wants to like run out of the room, like turn in bright red, <laughs> like super uncomfortable. Um, he wants to be anywhere else at this point. And I'm like, let's test it. Let's see if all this stuff, this last, you know, 10 hours we spent together is worth it. Right. And he's like, I don't know what to do. His peers are like staring at him, right? They're just all like looking at him, like do something. And he breaks out his phone and he plays that baby shark song. And then he starts singing the baby shark song, right? It's a kid song, right? Baby shark, dude, dude. Yeah. And he starts influencing them and then they start joining him to do that. And I'm like, you know, by the end of it, you know, the energy's super high. And I look at him I'm like, yeah, dude, that's it right there. Like you didn't have a playbook. You didn't know that was going to be asked of you. Like you did something about it though. Cause you get to think and feel whatever you want, whatever right. anxiety you were experiencing in that moment. Cool. Your action is what's going to be telling. Right. And that's how your peers are going to receive you going forward. And it was interesting, just a little feedback from one of uh, his coaches who was my former team sergeant. I was like, yeah, you'd be surprised, man. Like what it's translated to is like his comfortability level within the group of his team, his peers. And I think that's the outcome that we're, we're searching for is like just get 1% better or 0.01% better on that day and time. Right. Um, and, and then recently I did one with uh, the police academy in Gloucester County. Right. So these young men and women are a little bit older. Right. But they're starting their career and they're super excited. And, you know, for the last like three, four months, they've been getting beat up in the police academy, like thousands of push ups and studying case law, doing whatever law enforcement professionals do. And to come in there and kind of talk about character and how it matters. Um, and then what we use as a tool for the foundation is the uh, values and action survey. You could find it on uh, the Googles. Right. And it highlights. Uh, character strengths, 24 different character strengths, and it'll print out an order based on depending on how you ask the questions, right? So my top three are uh, humor, perseverance, and leadership. And it's different for everybody, different for everybody. And what those young men and young women did is highlighted like their top three character strengths. And we kind of talked about that for about an hour and a half. And what does that mean going into law enforcement for them personally and professionally? And kind of just really explored and asked the hard questions of like, is it okay to be kind? How important is it to be honest, right? What does perseverance mean to you? Does humor play a role in dealing with what you deal with or doing whatever you do? And it was a nice um, change for them, I think. And that's the feedback I got from them because they had just been getting drilled by their instructors, as they need to be, right? Is to really like, let's get into like what makes up you though within the team as you go forward to start a career in law enforcement. So those are two very different ends, right? Um, what are the outcomes are going to be for, for those folks? 
who knows, but uh, Senator Fred Madden is the one that hosted me down there, and uh, he's going to build it into the curriculum going forward to have, you know, Travis Madden Foundation come in and when characters matter. Yeah, recently I've been thinking of, like, uh, kind of, like, there's a lot of, like, beyond football programs around. Yeah. Like, in, like, bigger, big-time college football and stuff like that. But I'm like, there's, like, high school kids that need this, too. You know, like there's high school kids like myself who just who struggle just as much as those other guys do, even though they get to play college football or whatever. But I'm thinking like exactly what you're talking about is exactly what they need to help them realize that they're maybe not, you know, the best at this. But, you know, just the act of trying, you know, is like or humility that you're not the best uh, is something that could be translated to a lot of things going forward. But like what? Like, I guess I use the example all the time, too, of one of the things I regret in high school is not, like, going out for the school play. Because, mm. like, I think I would have loved it. <laughs> but at the same time, like, I was in that, like, I'm a tough guy. Like, there's no way I can – I got to go to the weight room. I can't go to, you know, <laughs> be in the, the play or whatever. But I like that they you guys do that improv, like, part of it, like the acting piece that would get a high-level athlete maybe super uncomfortable in a different position. So what are the other aspects to like two-year mentorship program like I- involved in the day? So what do you mean in that day? Like so yeah, we, like we, so what we do is uh, and this is where the full-time staff of the foundation is amazing. Like uh, Rebecca Forbes uh, at that time, she basically created like a printout of each student, right, and then matched them with a particular mentor. There was uh, five of us that day that worked with this group of about forty students. So we had a pretty small cohort, right, and group to kind of work with, and we were matched up based on character strengths. And that's the part where the foundation is amazing. Like they're literally give us all the tools required to do exactly what we're going to do. No fee or no cost to the school or institution or team. And that right in and of itself is like a good starting point. And then once we get in there is like the aspects of it is kind of like set a baseline, right? It's well thought out. The curriculum is like, let's set a baseline. Let's get a little movement going raise some heart rates, do a little CrossFit workout. No high skill stuff. We're just going to do burpees, right? Like if any injuries, no injuries. Hey, do a whole bunch of burpees and box jumps or whatever, right? Have a shared experience. Process it. Walk through it. Because there's going to be some, typically some students in there that are like, ooh, not my thing. Didn't enjoy it. Actually hated it. Totally uncomfortable. I don't see this being for me. They already want to go home, right? Which for us as mentors is like awesome. It's working. And then, you know, there's the other guys that are in there, right? Maybe like a young Kevin Som or a young Vince Ruiz is like, crush that workout, bro, <laughs> right? Like chest yeah. bumping, high bumping, like, yeah, man, this is awesome. Let's do more workouts, right? And then all of a sudden, like, you know, like two hours later, now we're doing a CDM presentation and we're talking about like, character strengths and weaknesses. What does it mean to be weak? Like unpacking that among your peers or your teammates. Now the kids are like, oh, I'm not weak, bro. I'm not weak. It's like, all right, cool. Right on. And so some kids get into it. That's a hard point, right? Because there's a high level of vulnerability in that, right? So that's where the little bit of the skill and the art is in terms of being a mentor and like asking the questions, you know, plenty of open-ended questions, giving examples, maybe historical presentations or representation, disclosing when we haven't been good, right? Like being like, yeah, like, you know, I wasn't really good right there at right. that moment, using real examples for them to identify. And it kind of builds the trust as the day goes on. Um, and then we'll turn the sheet. Eat some, we'll break some bread, eat some lunch together, right? That's kind of symbolic in nature, kind of hit a little break. And then we're doing memory activities with blocks or images or pictures, right? Not intrusive, 
but it's a test like, Hey, go take a look at how the blocks are shaped over there and then come back to your team and then brief them on how you got to reshape the blocks or design whatever you just saw. So now we're testing the leadership thing. Like you're in a position of leadership. You got to come back to your team to reflect like this super simple task. It's non-invasive, right? There's no threat. Um, and how well do you articulate the mission to your team? How do they receive it? All right, because maybe you're not the designated leader in that group typically. So now it's like totally uncomfortable for them. And then, you know, throw in the improv acting or rock climbing or whatever it needs to be and, and build it out to be like, hey, what topics or issues are we going to highlight? Because improv oftentimes I have found, whether I was in a leadership position or a support position or I've witnessed other folks in the leadership positions, improv is a big part of it. Like you're expected to make sense of stuff that doesn't make sense sometimes, right? And then convey it to the people that you're leading in that moment to make sense of it. Right. You know? Interesting. And that's a, that's a core belief. You know, that enthusiasm, right? That level of engagement, that effort that you're going to exert, that those are three things that we try to get out of the kids at the end of it to be like, it's okay not to know and it's okay to fail forward. And that's really at the end where we're talking about failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. And so what happens is the kids become more cohesive. You know, maybe they've passed each other in the hallway the last four years and never said a word to each other. And now we've created this environment in a very safe way for them to like build out a stronger community, more interaction or connection. Because if the kids on the robotics team and the guys are on the Don Bosco football team, they may or may not interact all that often. You know, and that's what we're trying to cultivate and create. Cool. I know the Travis Manion Foundation has the, the, the motto, like, character does matter. Yeah, man. Can you, like, unpack that a little bit? I just don't understand. I guess I don't quite understand it, but I know, like, in sports, like, character is what you are when no one's watching. You know, like, that's, like, a, a common thing. I guess, like, what does it mean to the Travis Manion Foundation, and what does it mean to an athlete who, you know, their career ended due to injury or yeah. just retirement for whatever reason? Yeah, I, I – so for me, and this is uh, – I don't necessarily know if everybody in the foundation sees it this way. It's going to be something different for everybody, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, for me, I think all along the way in our journeys or our process, whether it's, um, you know – 20-year career in the major leagues, right? Or four years on a high school high school team or a 10-year military career, whatever it is. I think we're perpetually in this cycle of we're teaching people how to treat us and they're teaching us how to treat them, right? And, and we fulfill a role or we play a character in somebody else's story. And um, I'm not proud of this, but I don't think I was the best version of myself in everybody's story, right? As a matter of fact, I would have been the villain in some stories, right? Or just a terrible human. Right? And I think that is kind of part of it is that like long after the task or the mission or the big game, it's like your reputation mattered and your character mattered. How did people feel when they were around you? Like were you building them up and supporting them? Right? Like you play sports long enough, you're, you're going to lose a big game at some point. Right? Are we pointing fingers or are we like, are we imploding as a team or a unit or are we coming together and getting stronger as a result? Right? Like how often, how often do we hear that story of like a team that like doesn't start out too hot? Right, and they're like, oh, like they're one in three, October starting, things right. are looking too good, right? And then you know the storyline goes is that like, either it's an action or a speech or like maybe they just check out from practicing doing whatever the task is to like form that cohesion. That lesson learned in principle carries on long after uh, the field, right? I think with the military it's kind of the same thing. It's like a deployment takes on many different shapes and forms over the course of a year or six months or whatever it is, right? Like it's, there's highs and lows and it's kind of finding that balance in that process. And I think that right there speaks to like what happens long after service. And I kind of shared the uh, example of like uh, my brothers, man. Like they think highly of me, highly enough of me from our experiences in combat that like when things fell apart, I wasn't doing well, right? Like to pick me up. 
they're yeah, like, they didn't they're like see, we yeah. know your true character. Right. Like, yeah, you got these labels on you now, like, you know, mental health stuff you're dealing with, addiction, right? And, like, there's some ugly stuff that comes with that. Like, you know, like, what do you want to label it with, right? It's because I play the role of junkie in some people's story. Like, they tell a story about me. It's like, yeah, Vince the junkie. Like, that's a thing, right? Like, that was my experience with them. That was the interaction, right? And, like, I'm sensitive to that. I'm aware of that. And I think it ties back to, to the young people. And that's why I'm so grateful for my experiences with the Travis Manny Foundation is, like, you know, maybe it is like that one day they just hang out with Vince to be like, yeah, it's okay. You don't have to be the best at everything. And those pressures you're feeling, they're real. Um, you're aware of them, but what are you going to do about it is the compelling part of the story because your reputation will carry on long after. And very much like the Travis Manning Foundation, what it's symbolic of as far as Travis Manning is like, that's legacy, man. Like long after. Right. Right? Like we all have that expiration day that's made. Is like, what are we doing with the gift that we have day to day? And I think, you know, using that language, some of the kids are ready for it. Some of them are not, but more often than not, they receive it pretty well, you know, and they're like, all right, cool. Like I have a new sense of purpose. I'm going to go forward. And like, you know, maybe that stress I'm dealing with in my home life, like, yeah, it's stressful. Dad lost his job or whatever and whatever's going on. Like those are real things. We're going to get better. We're going to go forward. And I think that's just what I try to articulate or convey to them without getting too far into the woods about my own personal yeah, stuff. No, that's great. And like we said before, like, yeah, you don't want like your story to like kind of influence how they think about you know what character means to them. Um, one thing I thought of the other day, I was just like listening to a podcast, and this question just kind of like popped up. I'm like, I'm gonna ask uh, Vince this because we met through Between the Ears, yeah. And a lot of, I guess, the value I feel like that comes from Between the Ears is going into the unknown. Oh man! And then I started thinking, like, sports and the military. I feel like with sports and the military, you have opportunities to go into the unknown, like on a daily basis. Like for sports, you don't know, like you go into a game, but you don't know like what the outcome is. You don't know if you're going to get hurt, if someone else is going to get hurt or like what, you know, what could happen during that game. But that's like kind of exciting. And, like, that's, I think, why you do it. Obviously, because if you went into the game knowing you were going to win every time, like, no one would play because it's not fun. And then in the military, I don't have that experience, but I'd imagine that you have a new mission every day. You don't know what the outcome's going to be. But to me, it's, like, that's part of, like, the excitement and what makes, you know, your daily grind a little more bearable. And I think about my current life or, like, the life of 95% of, the world where you go to work, you show up and like, you pretty much know what's going to happen like every day for the most part, at least in corporate America. Um, I was wondering like, is, I wonder if that is part of the, like the problem with that transformation piece of it or the transition of why people struggle is like missing the unknown and like the opportunities to have, I don't know, experiences that you don't, you don't know going into it. Do you, what are your thoughts on that? If that made any sense, no, at all? I I <laughs> I know it abs absolutely made sense, I, and I think I'll reflect it back and see if I followed you. Is uh, cool. The first thing I thought of uh, as you wrapped it up is like uh, creative expression, right? Like I had to do all this work for whatever the reason or the purpose is, and then when the lights go on and everybody's watching, uh, am I competent enough and brave enough to do exactly what I think I can do? And in that story, right? Like it's a story, right? It's like, is there a worthy adversary across from me? Because the reality of this is like whether it's sports or, or combat, and they're slightly different because the outcomes of combat can be catastrophic. Right? 
to a greater degree than sports necessarily. Yeah. Right. That in in theory, right? Is the idea is like, and and you can speak to this is that like we try to put controls in that to be like, hey, everybody goes and leaves this game safely, right? But unfortunately, we know because if it's a collision sport or or whatever, right? Like there can be catastrophic outcomes that come. But with the that. idea. But is the that, idea yeah. <laughs> is that everybody leaves, right? Combat's a little bit different. Is that like there are times in my experience where it was like, we hope everybody leaves. We're gonna do everything that we can to make sure everybody leaves, but like that may or may not happen. There is a little bit of a difference in that in my experience. I think it's creative expression, though, is what we're talking about, right? Like we do all this work to hone our craft and to develop uh, and to get good at whatever it is we're going to do as part of a brotherhood or a team, and that sense of purpose can be singular, like. That is the focus. That is the goal. That is cons- all-consuming for 24-7. I need to be bigger, better, stronger, faster. I need to know the playbook inside and out. I need to know the battle plan. I need to know my mission, my orders. I need to do everything I need to do to make sure that mission success is a thing. And then, you know, for me personally, and this is where I think we're saying the same thing, is like, am I willing to do everything it takes to get that done? And that started six months before, six years before. Uh, like it's just this ongoing process of like these moments that are all strung together uh, with successes and failures because there's no one crowning achievement or moment. And, that, and that's kind of it is that, uh, you know, I was, I was deeply humbled um, last year with the Travis Manning Foundation. I went to Colorado uh, to the Crooked Butterfly Ranch. Uh, Brian Chantosh is a uh, place, uh, Marine Corps veteran, super decorated, right? And that's what the Googles tells us, right? That's what we just know. And, uh, Bill was working with him, co-facilitating the event. And that's where me and Bill also fostered our continuing relationship. And, and, you know, he made a statement that's profound to me is to be like, yeah, I'm not just that. Like whatever people read on there. That's just a moment that was captured in time. Like I didn't just turn a light switch on that day. You know, that that's just one moment. And it's singular and people want to define me by that. But that's not just it. You know, so I think that's kind of it. And it speaks to um, somebody that I'm fascinated with is how – how religious he is about his processes, at least that's what they share with us uh, on the social medias, is like somebody like Tom Brady. It's like, that dude appears to just love the process, man. Like the Super Bowls are what like, yeah, he likes that, that outcome and all of that, right? That he's excited about that. But like, he likes in March when nobody's around and watching. <laughs> right. Like I'd have to believe he wakes up fired up, man. <laughs> you know, like to get back to the ground and work. And I think... That is kind of the same thing with uh, sports and, and the military. And I think the part after it that gets lost is having that singular focus or purpose. It's a come full circle here, right? And I think that's the part for me that the Travis Manning Foundation, that's the role it played, as well as Recalibrate, which is in Ocean County, um, the folks I'm working with right now and supporting. You know, like, it's like, hey, here's a bunch of people. We're trying to do things to make things better. Um, and that's very much how I see myself in relation to the world. I think for, for athletes, sometimes it can be a little more challenging or difficult, right? Because if you go from playing on Saturday night, right, um, college football, high school football, right, and then you don't have that, that's removed, right? Like, how do you define it, your purpose? What do you do next? I guess the exciting part of it is that you get to do whatever you want. And so that scope of responsibility, right, after somebody maybe played sports for whatever period of time and they've just been told that this is what you're going to do and started to accept that as a belief, it's like now you got to find a new group of friends or group of peers or mentors that are willing to challenge you on your beliefs. And I think that's something where I'm at, at this point in my life, as I said before, you're at 38 years old, is that, like, I'm always seeking somebody that's going to challenge me on my stuff. At 18, I didn't have that. 28, I didn't have that. And clearly, you know, when, when things were going on with PTS and addiction, I definitely, definitely wasn't capable of that. 
when you say seeking, like there's obviously action and transformation. Sure. So you're you're seeking, but what does that look like? Like, are you looking searching the internet or like, yes? Like so, how yeah. do you find that next? Uh, yeah. So I think I think a lot of times for me, it's um using historical figures have been a driving force as well, right? So let's you know let's if we take people of noted in history right and these are just a few examples right ulysses has grant right like uh battle alcoholism to a great degree potentially one of the greatest generals in the history of uh the army right president of the united states at one point uh, abe lincoln right melancholy major depressive disorder struggled with his whole life right pretty important deal in our country's history right um i'm currently engaged in uh, the stand to uh program at the bush center right? it's a veteran leadership program and President Bush uh, addressed myself and 42 other members of my uh, cohort. And, you know, he detailed very, very honestly and being very forthright about his experience about stopping drinking in 1986. You know, conversation with his wife and wife being like, hey, they're going to stop. You're not going to stop. And he's like, all right, I'm done. He stops. And I just don't think it's uncommon. I think, I think it's common that folks face challenges, go through things. And the harder it can be, um, the darker it might get the brighter they're going to shine as a light for other people to help people get better. And and, I, and not to belabor the point we talked about before, is like I think that's what Heads and Hales is doing. Like I consumed about 20 hours. I couldn't consume all your podcast, all the content, but in about the 20 hours I consumed of it, like every single guy or gal that's come on this before me, and I, I hope that every guy or gal that comes after is like going to talk about that. It's like, you know, being that light in the darkness, whatever the darkness was for them. And I think that's been the compelling part of the story and that, that sense of purpose and passion. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on to share your story um, to light the way for, for others, for sure. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, we had talked about uh, the fact that we're together is because of Between the Ears, and you had mentioned <laughs> one of your immersion experiences. Uh, I'll, I'll link up all the Between the Ears stuff in, in the show notes for this episode for people that are don't know what it is. Um, you might get the link and still not know what it is, but that's part of the point. Uh, but anyway... Can you talk a little bit about your immersion experience that was most profound to, to you? Yeah. Is it okay if I share how I met Bill? Yeah, of you course. Okay yeah, yeah, so uh, he, he was on the uh, level one uh, staff when I did my CrossFit, level one. CrossFit, yep. yeah. Yeah, doing the CrossFit thing, right? And uh, I'm like, all right, cool. Like, this dude was definitely in the military at some point. Uh, he's deadly serious about this task, right? And the you could tell right Details away. of it. Oh, right away, I'm like, this dude was cadre in the military somewhere, like okay. 100%, because he's not unique in the way he delivers, right? Yeah. Uh, but he's got like this sense of humor too at the same time, simultaneously. He's got a good balance, right? And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, you know, that air squat right on. We just have a conversation <laughs> or whatever, right? And uh, he's like, oh, no, you know, I was, uh, I, was, I was a Green Beret or whatever or something, something. And then they plug, the Flowmaster plugged, uh, the person that was running uh, level one that weekend plugged uh, between the ears. So right away, like, I Google. She made some statements about what it was. And I'm like, eh, I don't need some dude like yelling at me. I'm not into that at this point in my life, right? Yeah. So I look at it, and it's like this super ambiguous photo of, like, the sun <laughs> coming through the trees and, like, a silhouette of a human. But that's all there is. Yeah. Like, there's no words. And I'm like, whatever. Right? That's my, that my initial, like, thought. Right? Like, even a little cynically, like, okay, whatever. Like, no interest. Flash forward, I go to the, the, the uh, leadership summit, uh, summit in uh, Colorado with the Travis Manning Foundation. And he's co-piloting. Um, the, the event and we're on a campfire so you didn't talk to bill really at nah, i didn't have like a relationship with him at all. I, was like, yeah. I was like all right cool whatever like you know like but that's kind of where it stopped right 
Um, and I didn't think anything of it, you know, I was fully engaged in doing the grad school thing and, and working in the helping professions. So yeah. That's to and coaching CrossFit in the mornings. And, um, we sit down in the campfire and there's these high achieving other veterans, man, doing stuff in the veteran space all around the country. You know, like I'm not unique or special. Like, and I'm, I've accepted this point in my life and I'm just like taking it all in. Like my mind is like getting blown like left and right. I'm like, these are all impressive humans. And, um, I don't think Bill said anything for probably the first like 48 hours. It's very much his thing, right? And then at some point, uh, we're talking about something and I make a statement. I clearly remember the statement when I was like, right on. I was like, you know, sometimes I'm in a situation and I'm working professionally or Travis Manning Foundation. I'll ask people like, hey, how's that working out for you? And some folks are like, all right, yeah, that's cool. Whatever it kind of works, doesn't work. And he like pipes up and is like, that sounds super condescending, dude. Like he looks me right in the eyes, like that sounds super condescending. I'm like, whoa, 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 like, like, back up. Like I, I don't know you that well. Like you're good at air squats, but like this is the first two words I've heard you say in the last <laughs> two days. Like whatever, dude. Um, but what happened afterwards is like it just opened up some meaningful conversations, man. And like he started like unpacking some stuff, exploring, examining stuff, and doing what he does, right? And at that time, and I got to see him in action. At the end of it, uh, like five days in. You know, we kind of hit it off, got his information. He kind of expressed a little more about what the Between the Years stuff was and, like, some of the different modalities he's using to, to deliver his message and his passion, his truth. And I was like, all right, right on, cool. So then I see the immersion thing come up. I sign up for immersion. Uh, but I'm still skeptical a little bit. And then I go on the immersion thing, whatever the details of that were. And at the end of it, three days in, I'm in this valley in upstate New York somewhere. Right, because he, like he takes whatever he kind of like shuts you down. You're out there in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and you're gonna just immersed in this, whatever that was. Mm -hmm. And the culmination of it, at the end of it, I'm just kind of writing in my journal, and like I think I'm Ernest Hemingway, like I'm hammering in this thing, man. Like the words are just flowing, tears are coming down my face. I'm like, I don't know what this guy just did here. I have no idea what I just did, but I am better for it. And I, you know, I couldn't wait to get home and share it with my wife and my friends. Um, and most folks received it like, all right, dial it back a little bit. Kind of like I was about the between the ears thing. Um, but really what happened is the meaningful conversations with Bill and then the coaching in between, um, really unpacking things, asking the hard questions, kind of exploring things. And he creates this platform that allows, or for myself, I feel like for me to sit with my stuff, Yep. whether he uses the physical stimulus or just the journaling practice or exercise. Or yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Conversational, which led us to, uh, the between the ears link up and, um, I mean, the greater majority of folks there are like, let's talk about courage, man. You're going to go up in the woods and do this thing or whatever. And like super humbled, you know, people sharing their stuff with total strangers about where they're at, what their challenges are. And like, there's so much overlap in terms of what people are trying to do and what they're overcoming. And what I found when I was taken back with the Between the Years link up and every Between the Years event is that if I'm not currently experiencing maybe what Kevin or the next guy or gal that is there experiencing, I've experienced something like that in the past. Right. And I will potentially experience something like that in the future with good, bad, or indifferent. And I think that for me has been the best part of it. And I think what he's doing with Between the Years is uh, remarkable in the sense of uh, he's getting total strangers to open up some really heavy and deep stuff in a non-intrusive way, in a non-therapeutic way, in a very safe way to allow people to uh, you know, check in um or check out to check back in i guess maybe is what i like to say so yeah, yeah and that's there. exactly what i kind of gather from it too it's like yeah, he gives you the opportunity to yeah not think about the other crap that's going on like the focus on like yeah what's exactly going on between your ears yeah um so as we kind of wrap up the conversation here 
do you have like three points to like you know kickstart a, a transformation versus a transition for athletes, veterans, you know, whatever, like what you would live by? Three, three little action items. Uh, I would start by saying hard stuff is hard to do, and and that's okay. I would say the the first point of performance is um, you can't be interested. You got to make a commitment to yourself, right? Like nobody owes you anything. You don't owe anyone anyone else. You have to make a commitment commitment to yourself and be okay with everything that comes with that. Whatever that is, that that would be the first part. Uh, the second part is is that um, if it's hard, you found the right thing. Right, and in, in, in defining what hard is for you is if it's um, making you excited and keeping you up to three in the morning and you're engaged and losing, losing yourself in the time and space with whatever you're doing, you found it, whatever that is. Uh, and the last part I would suggest, and this is, I think, something I, I live by at this point in my life, have for a while now, is I like, live your truth. And your truth is whatever your truth is. It's not about anybody else. And I, I think that's the most important thing for us as humans is like, if we're true to ourselves, um, and good things are going to come out of it. And for myself at this point, uh, my truth is that I'm loving, I'm peaceful, I'm conscious, I'm radiant, I'm wise, and I live in grace. And I'll continue to refine that and redevelop it and reexamine that. But live your truth. Love it. Uh, where can listeners connect with you? Uh, so I'm new to the Instagrams, right? So it's Vincent underscore Americo. Uh, Heads and Tails is going to be the first post on there. I'm super excited about it. Honored. Um, and then if somebody wants to drop me a line, vincent.ruiz at travismanning.com. Drop me a line, and uh, if there's a way we can get involved with your sports team, your school, your collective, your cohort, or your community, uh, I'm pretty sure we have veterans everywhere, and if we don't have any there, we'll create it and develop it. Cool. I'm definitely uh, hitting up my high school football coach that set something up with you guys. I right. think I, I truly believe that like every team needs to experience what, what you guys can offer. It's going to be a collaboration, brother. You'll be part of it, man. And I think I was going to say, like, I would love to be a part of it too. Yeah. <laughs> back to that part of like the purpose and creative space. That's what this is, man. And I really appreciate the opportunity to share my story. Um, my first time putting yeah. it out in the world, man. And honestly, like I couldn't be more honored to be the, the first place that you, uh, you share your, your full story and thank you for opening up and, you know, showing the light to other people who are going through the same thing that you went through. Love you, brother. Thanks. You too, dude.